Welcome to Season 2 from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Ben, the owner of Rivington Brewing Company. We're going to be chatting all about the brewery and the beer made and everything in between. But firstly, welcome to the podcast, Ben. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Sorry no, no it's, uh, worries. taking so long. <laughs> so, like, when did when did the brewery start? And have you kind of always loved beer and alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, brewery started. So we're now, I think, we're going to be eight this year in December, in terms of when we registered the brewery. Um, We've been producing beer for or selling it from about seven years from this summer. Um, I, yeah, I guess love for beer. I don't know. Growing up, I sort of remember drinking real ale with like my dad in local pubs and stuff and um, him bringing home bottles from the supermarket um, and him sort of telling us he did like a little bit of home brewing. And this was probably for me like late teens coming back from university and, and stuff. Um, and then after that, I probably actually wasn't that interested in it for a little while. Um, I went and studied in America for a year um, and drank mass-produced lagers and cheap spirits, basically, while I was there. Um, then came back to the UK um, and wanted um, sort of travelled around a little bit after that, spent a bit of time in New Zealand, a little bit of time in, in Switzerland and in France. Um, and I was sort of semi-interested in beers but but it was nothing nothing major like nothing in terms of like it being a hobby or anything um but the real catalyst for me was when I sort of moved back to the UK um I my brother-in-law and myself my brother-in-law had just been to a wedding where they were serving their own homebrew um and I went back and this was summer sort of yeah about nine years ago back to uh, Asheville in North Carolina to visit a friend of mine and they had this, uh, it was just this amazing city with independent beer and independent food, um, real community spirit in terms of local businesses working together. Um, you barely saw sort of mass produced beer or food around. There was no real big chains. And um, I just sort of loved that. And at the time we were living in Manchester um, and my wife and Claire and myself were looking to move back to Rivington. Um, and I thought, yeah tied in with start doing a bit of home brewing I kind of I always knew I wanted my own business but at that time I didn't really know what it was or what it wanted to be and I think moving back to Lancashire at the time where there probably wasn't loads of really good beer around especially modern beer there's quite a lot of trad real ale but in terms of like modern craft beer there was next to nothing when we first moved back so that was sort of my my inspiration experiencing this amazing place in America and then trying to bring a little bit of it back to to Lancashire and to Rivington. I was going to ask so compared to America and like the different places you've traveled obviously like you can go to you can go to a bar in Italy in France wherever you like Peroni, yeah. Corona all those kind of lagers what's the what's the differences maybe in the beer compared to America and England and and like Switzerland like you said? Yeah so America is was sort of seen as one of the, the in essence we've got the real ale movement and probably like the craft beer movement as we call it so real ale 
has sort of been champion in the UK um, and brought back from a pretty low point in, in like the 1970s. A lot of that work was done around camera, um, which is campaign for Real Ale. Now, Real Ale had and probably still has a bit of a perception of being quite traditional, old white men with beards sat in sort of beer festivals and pubs drinking cask beer that isn't doesn't look or taste particularly great. And that's sort of been the perception around Real Ale. Now, craft beer came around um, in America, probably the last, well, they start simply probably from like the, the 1970s or so, making more hop forward beer. Um, a lot of it is in keg and can and bottle instead, um, fizzier, that sort of thing. So, but then a lot of the American brewers who start the craft beer movement were inspired by traditional cask beer, which was served in the UK and which has been around for hundreds of years. Um, so, the American scene, a lot of that is more hop forward beers based around um, American hops and really like aromatic American hop varieties. Um, and particularly when it started, it centered around West Coast IPA, which was, you know, stronger ABV, six, seven percent, really hop forward, uh, bitter beers. Um, and that's sort of where the American scene started. But the American scene, craft beer scene, being it's sort of ahead of a lot of other places in the world. They start bringing other styles in. So they started, um, you know, making big uh, imperial stouts. They started doing sour, well, not started doing sour beers, but took inspiration from sour beers and saisons and things produced in Europe and, and places like Belgium. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things around beer um, and all over is the regionality of it. So you look yeah. at, like you say, going to, um, I mean, particularly in Europe, you go to Germany and it's or Czech yeah. Republic, and they're famous for lager, um, but it's also on a, a very regional level. So, you know, if you're in Cologne, it's sort of the origin of where Kolsch came from. If you go to Berlin, um, historically, they had like a sour wheat beer called a Berliner Weiss. Um, so there's, there's tons of sort of real like regionality and locality to it. And especially if you go to Belgium and that's been sort of, um, well, that's where sour beer, in essence, was sort of came from. If you've ever been to Cantillon or Dreyfontein, those sort of places. Yeah, I do think you think of like Germany and Belgium, and you think of like October Oktoberfest with the sausages yeah. and the beer and stuff. Is definitely like, I don't know, is that the beer capital of the world, or or what is what would you? Uh, say? Yeah, I guess um, I think October. I think probably Germany and Czech Republic in terms of volume consumed definitely is. Um, but I think it, it it comes down to, I think the beer scene's very fluid. You look at it in terms of wine and I guess France was always seen as like the heartland. But then I think a lot of the new world areas, your Australia's, your South American regions would sort of have quite a lot to say about that. And it's the same with beer now. I think whereas in Europe, we were pretty sort of stuck on traditional styles um, and techniques and things what the Americans did was sort of amplify things and, and move the whole scene forward. And so a lot of the inspiration, I mean, we use predominantly American hops in our beers. Um, they just, the aroma is incredible on them, the, the taste, the flavor, um, and New Zealand hops and Australian hops as well. Um, so I think they took sort of what they had and what they could grow and um, we've sort of shared it around the world. Yeah. <clears throat> 
And like you were saying, with it being like very trendy, well, not trendy, like back then it wasn't. And now there's loads of these kind of smaller breweries and bigger breweries about. How long did it take you? Like, you, you obviously know your stuff, like the knowledge and the history of it, like you were saying then. How long did it kind of take you from, I don't know, growing, growing, like brewing <laughs> the first like bottle you ever did to where you are now? Like, what was that kind of evolution like for you? Well, still still is massively um we're still refining and improving and trying new techniques and trying new styles and all sorts of things so we um we sort of went from home brewing and we probably we only home brewed for about a year before we got our first commercial kit and by commercial kit it was only a 200 liter kit so we're barely producing any beer whatsoever on it um and if i'm honest the the way we're brewing in those early days the quality we're producing wouldn't be good enough to sort of get into market now um i think the industry stepped on so much in the last five years and the quality stepped on um that we wouldn't probably even got off the ground um so but what we luckily at the time we sort of we looked at stuff we were doing potentially wrong or mistakes we we're making quick to address those um we're doing it alongside full-time or actually alongside a, a full-time job um and then gradually, we sort of start to make a few improvements on a 200 litre level. We jumped up and bought a 400 litre kit. Um, and again, I mean, the thing with brewing is it's it's scalable. So if you can produce 25 litres, you can produce 2000 litres. Mm. It takes about the same amount of time to brew it. It takes a bit longer to package it all, but roughly the same amount of time to brew. Um, so we stuck in a 400 litre kit for a few years um, and then in the summer of 2020, um, we, no, sorry, 2019, we start the process. Um, we got a rural diversification grant because we're based on a, on a beef farm and what was a dairy farm beforehand. So we got a rural diversification grant to get a big, um, like 2000 litre kit. Mm -hmm. um, annoyingly, it came, we had all sorts of issues with it. So we, we opened a tap room in November 2019 on the farm. Um, by April 2020, we were in lockdown, mm. uh, which wasn't ideal. And then the brewery we had um, was supposed to be installed by December 2019. And we got a call in January 2020 to say the guy building it had gone to administration. Oh. So, yeah, wasn't ideal. So we dealt with all that, managed to sort of get most of the kit together. Um, and then, yeah, again, lockdown in April, 2020. So we had a half finished brewery, just sat in a, a warehouse and in the middle of a pandemic, not really knowing what was going on. So yeah, it was a less than ideal start. So when you were saying that you had, you were doing it like on the side and you had a job, what was your yeah. like job before you kind of took, before this took off? Yes, yeah, so I worked in, I worked in sales, used to work for Cadbury's. Um, selling chocolate and then I worked for a company called Green Core and then the last company I worked for was a company called Rittersport which is a, a German chocolate company um, and they were pretty flexible so um, I managed to get down to working four days a week for them and then three days a week working for them and working for the brewery at the same time um, and then eventually in it was about Easter 2019 that so three years ago I took the plunge and and went full time with it. And so obviously having that background and sort of with chocolate and things like that, what would you say is yeah. the best savory or sweet like snack? You know, if you 
accompanying it with a beer, like with your beer, yeah. say, what would you say is the best snack for it? Um, it's interesting because there's so many different styles that you compare to and compare really well. So you can have stuff like a really rich stout will go amazingly well with chocolate and with desserts and things like that. So you'll get um, you sort of, again, your sour beers would pair really well with fruits and even to extent, again, stouts pair well with fruits and they're often used in the beer. Um, you can have beers which have salt added to them. So again, we work well with something as simple as chips and things like that. Um, so it is the, vers the versatility of beer. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't, yeah, I don't know actually. It's a good question. <laughs> so what's what's the flavor of beer that you brew is it just one one type or do you have lots of different types we've got in essence three core beer four core beers mm -hmm. that we brew that are always available and then we'll brew another i mean i think last year we brewed uh i think about 88 batches um so but then I think we did 50 different beers last year. So some beers we'll do a few times a year. Some we might do just once a year. Some we might just do it once and that's it forever. We never do it again. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's all uh, yeah, trying new techniques, trying new hops, trying new styles and, and seeing what works for us and, and what sort of consumers like. So the, the four sort of core ones that you have, um, yeah. do you want to talk me through those, what, what they are? Yeah, yeah, so we've got Beach House, which is a 3.8% pale ale, uh, easy drinking. Um, we sell that um, in cask and in can. Um, we have our most, our biggest seller and one we're sort of most renowned for, uh, it's called Never Known Fog Like It, which is a, a really hazy, juicy, um, it's classical New England style beer. Um, it's a really hazy beer, um, pioneered from sort of the East Coast of America. Um, we keg and can that. Uh, we have a little, what we call a hoppy little pail called Fall Out the Sky. And that's a beer we use to try different hops and different techniques and things in. So we rotate that throughout the year. And then we have a coffee stout, which is 7% called Void Space Ratio. And where do you make your beer now? Obviously, you say it's not home, home brewery as such. No. Do you have sort of a, no. I don't know, a factory type thing? Yeah, so we've got um, a brewery based on the farm, um, just across from the tap room. So we have um, a, it's about two thousand liter kit um, with six what called DPBs, dual purpose vessels, or like fermenters to ferment the beer in, and two conditioning tanks which we use to package the beer out of. Um, so I think last year we produced uh i think about eight 1800 hectoliters so about one hundred eighty thousand liters last year from it wow what's it like yeah. obviously you this being like a little vision in your head and now it's just like such a, a thriving you know business and people like want your beer and it's sold in places what's that kind of like for you yeah it's surreal um it's yeah i think especially early days when you're sort of doing seven days a week working harder to make it it, it is a strange seeing it and this weekend easter's just gone the tap room is absolutely packed because it's warm weather and everyone's out in rivington and it is strange to see to an extent um even knowing what i sort of wanted to work towards um but it's also down to 
I think we've got a good team there. We've got seven members of staff um, and they all buy into what we're doing and what we're trying to create. And they all care very much about what we're doing, um, mm. both on the taproom side on the brewery. There's no like resting on morals. They want to keep on improving and keep on helping us sort of make the best beer we can and be the best company that we can be. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a team effort. But no, I, I do I think we're step back and look at it i'm very proud of what we've all all made together what would you say makes your your beer different to other brands out there um <laughs> another good question <laughs> <laughs> i think the style we so initially when we started lancashire was definitely some of the hot four beers and some of the more the most hoppy beers potentially definitely a local market if not more a um like a, a national market um for now i think it's we we sort of don't we're not really compromising as we've scaled up so we've not really cost engineered any of our products so we're keeping the same hopping rates so ne never known fog like it our hoppiest beer we've kept that the same hopping rate for five years we've not looked at a way of you know can we take a few hops out and make it a little bit cheaper to make us a bit more money we've kept it exactly the same as hop forward as we can do. And actually even that's one of the beers we make the least amount of money on, but we sort of won't compromise on it because when we want it to be accessible and I think hopefully to the consumer that quality shines through. The fact that we are continually improving and yeah, there's no, without me waffling, like there's no sort of resting on laurels. We want to keep on stepping on what we're doing all the time. Yeah. So why don't you talk me through the process of kind of, I don't know, if you maybe pick one of the beers you make, the process of yeah. what you do and how long it takes. Yeah, for sure. So we, um, everything starts off with malted barley. Um, so in essence, um, well, without going into all, like the massive detail on it, we, we move the malted barley um, and other sorts of grains. For example, we use flaked wheat and flaked oats. Um, sometimes a bit of dextra malt in there, different malts to give either body, taste, flavour to the beer. Um, that's then put into hot water um, and it sits in there for us for about 50 minutes to an hour. Um, and in this time, it's, it's done at certain temperatures. So the higher the temperature, we get a bit more um, unfermentable sugars out, which will leave the beer a little bit sweeter and a bit more body. Um, or we have um, more fermentable sugars in it, which will let finish the beer a little bit drier um, so we leave it in the what's called the mash tun uh, let's say about 50 minutes to an hour then we do a little bit of a recirc afterwards to make sure that all the sugars have converted um, after that we transfer the beer um, or rinse all the sugar off but with hot water in a process called sparging that then moves into a boiler beer gets boiled up um, for about an hour um, and again we add hops um, either at different times or at different temperatures into the boiler, but into the boil depending on whether we're looking for bitterness or aroma um, or what, what else we're sort of looking at. It's then transferred to one of the tanks, yeast is pitched um, and then it ferments away. So the actual brew day takes about eight to nine hours depending on the beer we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, fermenting takes the shortest beers we ferment in two weeks sometimes slightly under um our longest beers take about three weeks until they're ready um 
and then yeah there we are so how does it work in terms of obviously like forward planning you know like you said easter easter weekend or you know yeah. we, there's so many bank holidays in may i feel like every monday is a bank holiday you know if they're all sunny and like we'll talk about your tap room in a minute but do you have to forward plan to do more before that you know with the timings and everything so you've got enough stock yeah um yeah to an extent we know um sort of schedules roughly six months in advance is planned out um however we are because we're in a small company we're flexible as well we can change things around and save uh, like we've noticed this weekend in particular that a lot of the low strength beer sold really well so a couple of the bigger beers off in the schedule will probably change around and, and brew lower abv now instead mm-hmm. um so yeah it is um this year's probably been the most organized i've been on it um the last two years hasn't been easy anyway with with COVID, um, particularly yeah. trying to work out whether we put beer into cask or into keg or into cans, um, because there's all the uncertainty of as to whether pubs would close or not. Um, so yeah, we um, sort of plan. Yeah, at the moment, three or four months locked in, but like the next week or two, I'll start planning probably up until September, October, what will be brewing, and then by the end of summer, we'll, we'll know to the end of the year. So you were mentioning the tap room. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk to me about like what 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 <laughs> what that is like? What it's called? Where where it is? What it serves? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, in essence, just a, a bar, but selling um our beers. Um, so it's in a converted horse stable. Um, mm-hmm. there's two rooms to it inside. Um, and then outside we have. A, yeah, pretty big area overlooking Rivington Pike, which we're very lucky with the view. Um, and then we also have like a, a little polytunnel as a second shelter um, and a like a, a perch at the top where we have a, a, a few more tables under there and stuff. Uh, so we have 19 taps of beer on. Um, at the moment, 17 are our own. Uh, one, we have um, a guest lager in because we can't brew our own lager year round. It's lager takes a lot longer to brew we don't have a tank space for it at the moment mm-hmm. um and then we have often like a guest beer on so if we've done like a collaboration with a brewery so we've just done one with um northern monk so we have the collaboration beer on in the tap room um for the next couple of weeks um it's also where we sell cans to take out and things as well um, mm-hmm. and then we've also got a resident street food trader joe and co so they serve um sourdough pizzas and burgers Mm-hmm. um pizzas on the weekend burgers five days a week um and then over summer so starting from sort from last weekend we have a second street food trader um do like three week stints so we just had Bira brothers down um who do like tacos and um they're amazing and then we have i think after their three weeks up we've got a few more planned out so yeah it's good it's um we're definitely a destination site because we're in rivington uh, unless you live in Abington or you're a really keen walker we are quite a we're a decent walk away um so we do get you know um people one of the reasons we did food is we want to make sure that people can stay for the day so they're not going to have a few beers and get hungry once go somewhere else um and then we also try to keep it very you know family orientated and friendly with people going on walks in the area that they can come down and enjoy a few beers and some nice food hopefully and what's it called? Rivington Brew. The tap room? Yeah. 
Yeah, we're just Rivington Bruco tap room. Um, so down Horribin Lane, um, basically just as you go into Rivington. Yeah, you were talking about COVID and obviously how yeah. you were kind of half building the brewery, etc. when all the lockdowns hit. Yeah. Did you, like, how was that for you, like, COVID in the, you know, the longer stretch of time? But also, did you start doing, like, deliveries or did you, yeah. do you sell your beer yeah, in the tap room? Yeah, it was, really, it was tough. So we um, started off when the first lockdown hit in April 2020. We just taken on our first full-time member of staff. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't furlough them because um, they'd only just started. And I think for the furlough scheme, you had to have three months of prior employment at the company. So we basically had no option but to try and sell and try and get some money coming in. Um, to pay the wages. Um, I also had um, our second child was born in May 2020 to add sort of more stress to the situation as well. Um, so we initially started by sort of refilling our kegs into cans and things like that, uh, offered a takeaway service and then delivered into the local area. Uh, when we reopened in June 2020, we put all our beer into kegs and into cans um, to sell at the tap room. And in essence, if it wasn't for the tap room, again, the brewery was losing money. Um, we sort of had, we put all this money into it. We're buying up stock. Uh, we're buying up sort of more casks and stuff to fill. So, yeah, we were really, um, the tap room sort of kept us afloat over the summer. And then we got into autumn and the restrictions started to kick in, like the substantial meal thing for a while. Mm -hmm. um, then... Yeah, num like numbers at tables and stuff. So again, we could sort of see things were getting tighter and tighter. So we then looked at, um, we did what's called uh, mobile canning. So it was where a company come out and they can your beer for you. So we did that from about the October of 2020 to February of 2021. Um, because I think when the lockdowns hit in October, the, the second lockdown, we were sat on tens of thousands of pounds worth of keg and cask stock that no one wanted because no bars were open. Mm. Um, started canning the beer, but again, the mobile canning companies, they were great, but they were really expensive. Um, so we managed to borrow the last bit of money in February 2021 um, and buy ourselves a canning line, a little two-head one. Then we could start you know, canning our own beer, getting that beer out to trade and stuff as well. Um, so yeah so we do we sell obviously sell quite a bit our tap room around about 25 percent i'd say um and then we sell our biggest market is preston um closely followed by manchester uh, but we sell uh, well we sell directly as far north as keswick we go over to leeds every couple of weeks um but then we also carry our beer out to london um down south all over um, then we also export a little bit so we sent beer last year to Norway Sweden Switzerland and Finland which is pretty cool yeah um, I'm just sending a bit more to Norway actually going out tomorrow so yeah you were mentioning how you've done collabs with other breweries and things how yeah. many um how many of them have you done and like what's the process for, <laughs> for doing that uh, we went especially after lockdown ease last year, we went a bit nuts and probably did a collab like every other week. So we've done probably 30, 40 now. 
Um, yeah, it's just it's often the case that's um, sort of meeting other breweries at festivals and things like that, or having friends in the industry that it's a chance to get together, share techniques, try something new, um, try brewing a new style, um, you know, getting your beer into maybe a market that you're currently not in or that they're in. So, you know, brew with, we just did a beer with a, a brewery in Glasgow called Overtone. Mm-hmm. They won down at, um, at our place last September and we went up to there. So, yeah, it's a chance to sort of see how their kit works, you can chat about, you know, things like hop contracts or suppliers, what sort of luck they're having. So, um, and then, yeah, again, talk about what we do on our techniques with the beer, what they do. And the whole ethos is about really growing the craft beer scene. You know, we, yeah, on our, on our own, we can't compete with Heineken and Molson Coors and Foster's. But collectively, if we can all sort of grow the market a little bit, then we're better working together and helping each other out. What's the supply like at the moment? Obviously, COVID, Brexit, Ukraine. What, you know, yeah. for you getting supplies, what's that like? Uh, challenging as always. So we we had, obviously, CO2 was a few months. Was that start of the year? We had issues with CO2 supply. Yeah. Uh, managed to get on top of that. Um, raw materials have all gone up. So our hops have gone up in price. Our malt's gone up in price. Our yeast has gone up in price. Um we use a, um, a keg system called Key Keg. Um, their kegs, they have like an internal bag into them, in, inside them, which helps keep the beer fresh. Um, they're in essence recyclable one-way kegs, um, but their bags are manufactured in Ukraine. So they've not been able to, the price of those have gone up because um, understandably what's going on there. So they've moved supply to other factories um, as well. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I guess we're not alone in beer. I guess it's the same as every sort of industry at the moment. The stuff's changing all the time and price fluctuating quite a lot. So, yeah, you've got to be pretty nimble, I think, and, and try and work around it. Yeah. Um, talk to me briefly about the Fresh on the Farm series that you've got. Yeah, so we, we're basically just launching new beer um, every Thursday, which is to say it's fresh off the the farm so we launch it first at the tap room and look to deliver it to trade like the week after and um, so last week we actually launched a beer with did a collab with a brewery called Varva who are based in Kiev um, so they sort of approached us before the war broke out about doing a beer together um, and then I was emailing um, one of the guys there sort of backers and forwards as the war was breaking out thinking you know there's no way we're going to be able to do anything, just hoping that they're all okay. Um, anyway, he managed to get himself out of the country. Um, and now he's doing collabs with breweries around the UK, around Europe and in America to sort of raise awareness of what's going on in mm-hmm. Ukraine. Um, so we're donating all the profits from the beer to uh, um, a group called Drinkers for Ukraine, um, which then they pass the money on to, um, I think, like the... Um, some of the main charities over there at the moment, like the Red Cross and stuff, um, all the humanitarian aid charities. Um, so, yeah, we, we launched Fresh at the Farm with um, Alliance, the beers called Last Thursday. Um, yeah. and it's a way to be getting people first chance to try the beer direct from the farm midweek. So, yeah, it's good. So just to like conclude, if anyone's been listening to this and is like, oh, I really want to try the beer, want to, want to see what it's like, 
how's the best way for them to to buy that is it to come to the tap room thanks for listening and we'll see you next week to keep up to date with all things from a lancashire lass follow on facebook and instagram at from a lancashire lass